Women's Health Melbourne is an innovative, holistic fertility and women's health practice. We are world leaders in IVF and egg freezing and provide our patients with every opportunity to achieve their goals. Our hand-picked expert team provides the ultimate care experience for our patients. Reach us at womenshealthmelbourne.com.au and follow us at Women's Health Melbourne and at Dr Rayleigh Alou. Welcome back to Knocked Up. Welcome back, Wendy. Thank you for joining us. Thank you. I feel like I'm becoming a bit of a regular. <laughs> you certainly are. <laughs> Today's conversation is being prompted after a few requests we got all at once through the Knocked Up podcast Instagram account about prenatal supplements. And Wendy, we thought it would be great for you to join us because you are a dietitian and an expert in women's health. So we're not going to talk about any specific brands or formulations today. The focus is really about what you need to look for in a prenatal and why are we taking them. Raylia, when did it all start that we needed to take a prenatal? Yeah, look, research has been ongoing into fetal health throughout the history of modern obstetrics and and modern science. And really in the 80s and 90s, some research started to gain momentum that neural tube defects, which is a particular kind of fetal abnormality, where the fusion of what will become the spine and the central nervous system of the baby fails to develop properly. And there's various spectrums of neural tube defects. Um, A common one that people may have heard of is spina bifida which is where the spine fails to fuse all the way and then a little bit of neural tissue is unprotected by the spinal cord. And for some babies that can cause neurological problems such as, for example, paralysation of the lower limbs. It was discovered by scientists and doctors that potentially one reason that spinal cord defects might happen is if the mother did not have the right amount of folate in her system. And... It was then hypothesised, this is how science happens, that someone has an idea, they have a cause that they think of and then they think about a solution and they have a hypothesis which is a, I guess, a presented potential solution. Uh, They hypothesised that giving a pregnant woman folate in excess of what she was achieving through her diet might reduce the risk of this rare complication of neural tube defects. And that was, in fact, trialled and it was realised to be true. It was a good idea and it was actually right. So what then happened was recommendations were derived to try and reduce the risk of a woman having a baby with spinal cord defects by supplementing folate throughout her pregnancy. And the dose that had a proven effect of folate in that situation Uh, was found to be 400 micrograms per day. And so that's really the beginning of when antenatal supplementation started to take off, that we thought, well, can we do something? Can we give nutrients to try and make a pregnancy more healthy? Because obviously there are lots of different steps in making a baby, and it's complicated. You have to have a healthy sperm and a healthy egg, 
and they have to make a healthy embryo and have all the right DNA, etc. But then they have to develop normally and everything has to go right. And the environment of the baby has impact on that. And there are some elements that are completely outside of our control, but we always try and identify elements that we can control because that's the only impact we can have as doctors and as mothers to try and make the pregnancy go the right way and end up with a healthy baby, which is what everybody wants. So I would say that's the origin of antenatal supplementation. But it's not the only science there. There are certain conditions which we know happen in women's, or in babies, born of women who have certain nutritional defects. So, for example, if a woman is deficient in vitamin D, her baby can develop a condition called rickets where their bones are bendy and their legs look funny uh, because their bones haven't formed correctly because of the lack of vitamin D. And we know that women who have a underfunctioning thyroid because of iodine deficiency have an increased risk of their baby being hypothyroid themselves because in the first 12 weeks of development there is no fetal thyroid. The baby relies 100% on the mother's thyroid and that can cause intellectual disability in children if they don't have enough thyroid hormone and one of the causes of, of that is production defect due to iodine deficiency because thyroid hormone is made of iodine. So we know about these things and we have always targeted you know, population, public health measures to try and, and avoid these problems, but these are the kind of things that might be useful in an antenatal supplement that is evidence-based. But I might hand over to Wendy because there's lots of things in a lot of formulas that are more kind of like a generic multivitamin that are not necessarily needed or of any proven benefit to a woman specifically in the context of pregnancy. So, Wendy, do you want to comment on that? Yeah, look, I, I agree with that. At the same time, I think like all the time we're learning more and more about the importance of different nutrients during pregnancy that maybe we hadn't considered previously. And what we know at the same time is that intakes of many nutrients for Australian women are well below what they should be. And so, for example, one of those nutrients that I'm thinking of is choline, which has been sort of a recent years getting more and more recognition for the role that it plays throughout pregnancy. So firstly, it seems to have a role in early pregnancy and along with folate, um, seems to have an impact on neural tube development amongst many other things. And then seems to also be really important for the baby's brain development and sort of intakes of choline have been associated with um, brain performance once that baby's gone. And what we know is that, you know, less than 1% of Australian women are of sort of the pregnancy age are meeting their choline requirements. So having a general sort of multivitamin that covers your bases for a lot of these nutrients that your diet might not be meeting isn't necessarily a terrible idea. At the same time, I think that we also need to recognise that, you know, there are many nutrients where, you know, more is also a problem. Too much is a problem as well. So that that can be a problem as well. So, Wendy, that's really interesting um, in regards to choline. 
Where would a woman get choline in a natural diet and why are we in the modern world falling behind? So choline, we get it in many different foods. It's sort of higher in animal foods or in greater amounts in animal foods than it is in plant foods. Um, The best source of choline is eggs. Not the best, so liver is also a really excellent form, but in pregnancy you don't want to be having heaps of liver. Eggs otherwise are sort of the best source and then kind of your meat and fish and chicken would sort of be below that and but a fair bit lower than eggs. And then some vegetables and grains are going to give you choline and beans and legumes and soy-based foods. Why are we falling short? It's, I guess people have sort of, less varied diets and a lot of different dietary restrictions these days. And I mean, like messages, like we're, you know, concerns about eating eggs because of their cholesterol in them, which has now sort of been debunked to a certain extent. So many reasons like that, people eating sort of less animal products, fish and seafood, especially in pregnancy, we're told that we need to be, you know, careful of high mercury fish and seafood. So um, some women, therefore, are not are avoiding them completely, which is certainly not what we want to be doing. So I think things like that have an impact. But also it is just really difficult to actually meet all of the recommended amounts of all the different nutrients that you're meant to be getting. Whether or not that then means that you will actually be sort of clinically or meaningfully deficient um, is a different story. But to tick off all your kind of nutrient reference values, which is what we call them, is actually really tricky to do on a daily basis. Yeah, so look, I would say, do you think it's fair to say that a lot of us think we're eating really healthy, but we're actually not? Yes, and I guess it's not that we're not, you know, eating healthy can mean many different things. But yeah, I think a lot of us think, you know, we've got a great diet, surely we're meeting all our nutrient needs. And a lot of us aren't. And actually... A Sydney-based dietitian as part of sort of her research project looked into whether pregnant women in a public hospital were meeting their nutrient needs and they looked at sort of the kind of key pregnancy nutrients and I think they looked at like 500 and something women and only five of them were meeting their nutrient needs Um, and so a lot of the nutrients were sort of well below where they should have been and yeah, certainly like when I think of like when I do nutrient analysis for my clients, it is very, very rare that women are ticking boxes for all the nutrients without taking, you know, a prenatal multivitamin. That's really interesting. So Wendy, in terms of that, what we're really going to learn, I guess, as we do more research in this area is potential impacts of that on downstream events. So I would imagine on first principles that if a woman is not nutritionally replete during pregnancy, of course, we give our baby preferentially all the nutrients they need. That's what our body does. Um, Then a woman's going to go into the postnatal period of healing and breastfeeding deficient, and that would potentially have some downstream effects on her ability to breastfeed uh, or her ability to deal with the sleeplessness and, you know, kind of physical challenges that come with a newborn baby and potentially also could influence things like mental health and uh, depression, baby blues, that kind of thing. So, you know, we don't think of these as nutritional areas, but they are, aren't they? Yeah, absolutely. And I think that's such an important thing to think about. We, you know, 
obviously we talk about sort of the baby self first, but it's true, it's sort of the impact that it has on the mother in that early postnatal period and sort of, you know, stretching longer than that. And that period is hard enough <laughs> without sort of, you know, having those nutrient deficiencies. And even, I guess, sort of the other thing to consider is obvious signs of nutrient deficiencies when they're extreme. So when there's, you know, extreme iodine deficiency and that can cause, you know, developmental problems with the baby. But the fact that, you know, even sort of mild deficiency can cause mild symptoms, maybe we don't know that there's a problem, but maybe things aren't working as optimally as they could be. Yeah, but certainly thinking of sort of, you know, the mother and her health afterwards and sort of, you know, what are your iron levels like? How is that impacting your energy levels? You know, what are your folate levels like and how might that then also impact your next pregnancy as well? So, yeah, definitely a really important consideration. Another thing that, you know, we need to also realise is that women's needs do change in pregnancy compared to what they were before pregnancy. And even if a woman has a fairly holistically balanced and healthy diet in her pre-pregnant state, if she continues that exact same diet in pregnancy, it may not cut the mustard anymore because in just in the first trimester of pregnancy, for example, we've got to make a lot of muscle, our breast undergoes tertiary maturation, so we're making a lot of breast tissue. We're making at least another litre of blood than what we normally have to circulate to the growing placenta, let alone growing the placenta and the baby itself. And our physiological demands are changing. And the distributions of different proteins in our body are changing because we need to create what's called a gradient, which is a flow from high concentration to low concentration to ensure that lots of things do cross the placenta to the baby as the baby needs nutrients from the mother. So everything changes a lot in pregnancy. And how would a woman's, from your perspective, nutritional needs change in that first trimester? In the first trimester, the um, nutrients that we really want to focus on I guess are the ones that are involved in sort of cell differentiation and in like I guess forming that sort of neural tube correctly so things like folate and choline um, vitamin b12 and sort of other methyl donors are really important in that time I guess the tricky thing about the first trimester is that a lot of women are also feeling really lousy and so it can make eating well in that period really tricky and so, you know, as much as you can, trying to focus on having a really sort of varied diet in that time, but I think that's when sort of a prenatal nutrient can be sort of a good insurance policy. And then sort of as, as pregnancy progresses, our needs for a lot of different nutrients increase. And so iron was one of the ones that you were talking about. And if we look, you know, a, a woman who is menstruating, her iron needs are really high anyway because we're, you know, sort of having some loss of blood there. So 18 milligrams in pregnancy, that then jumps up to sort of towards 27 milligrams. So a huge increase. And that's one of the ones that can be super tricky to meet from food. That being said, some women, I don't see anyone who meets their iron requirements in pregnancy and only some of them will... Um, then become iron deficient. So we do sort of, you know, absorb iron differently and lose iron differently as well. And then when we give birth, we can bleed significantly. I think most people, you know, do lose a significant amount of blood in a normal birth scenario. But if you do have excessive bleeding when you do have a baby, so-called postpartum hemorrhage, then you can actually need a blood transfusion if 
your iron levels are low to start with because if your iron levels are low to start with, then your hemoglobin levels, which is the protein we make to carry oxygen in our blood, made of iron is going to be low. And that means that you've got an empty tank to start with or a half-empty tank. And then if you have a challenge such as a, a birth where you lose more blood than average, um, you can be really, really fatigued and anemic and, and sometimes dangerously so requiring blood transfusion. So all of this work in the lead-up to build up a buffer is really helpful to the maternal health. Yeah, absolutely. I think building up your iron stores uh, and not just iron stores, but your nutrient stores prior to pregnancy is really helpful because it helps to, you know, with all sort of those losses and those reasons why they might be depleted, but then also covers you, like I said earlier, for that first trimester period where you, you know, might not be eating as optimally as you would like to be. So some nutrients, other nutrients we need to be, you know, eating and replacing every day because our body can't store them. Um, But some nutrients we can, and so it is helpful to get those on board. Wendy, there's a lot of controversy in the media and amongst certain obstetrics and gynecology experts versus scientists versus uh, naturopaths about the role of folate methylation. We have a previous episode on our podcast called MTHFR WTF, um, which you're welcome to look back into in the back catalogue if anyone's interested. I'm just interested to hear your take on it. Can you can you discuss folate metabolism with us? Sure. <laughs> yeah, it is. It's a it's a tricky one um, because, like, I guess from a theoretical point of view, you know, so we we know that there are some women in the population who don't convert the inactive form of folate that we get sort of from folic acid supplements but also from food folate into the active form that our body can use as well as other women due to sort of mutations that they have on on the gene that um, plays a role in that and so you know it makes sense if you think about it like that that giving them the active form of folate would be a good idea however that being said For years and years now, they've been fortifying food in Australia with folic acid and the folic acid that we, you know, have in most, the folate that we have in most supplements is folic acid. And on a population level, that's had a huge impact on reducing neural tube defects. So if we look at sort of the percentage of women who were said to have these gene mutations and then how much the risk is reduced, it kind of doesn't add up exactly from my point of view so it is yeah it's a tricky one it's I've seen studies where giving the active form of folate does increase your blood folate levels as much as folic acid so I don't know that I'm that concerned from a safety point of view of giving the active form of folate and potentially there's going to be some benefit for some women in the population so most women who's activating that folate just fine it's not not going to be necessary and folic acid is going to be fine it's a really tricky tricky topic and it depends who you talk to and I think that the evidence isn't strong enough in the direction of methylated folate yet maybe that will change because things are always changing and we're always learning new things but I think you know a key message should be take 
folate in some form <laughs> because you know we do have evidence that it's helping and really important but yeah it's it's yeah one that I, I find tricky talking about because it does depend who you talk about who you talk to about it and it does a hundred percent it does look I think I tell you my two cents there's a condition that a baby can be born with called homocystinuria where someone really can't convert folate and that actually when a gene really doesn't work I'm not talking like a polymorphism or a minor mutation where a gene might not work as well as other genes that might work better but that it literally doesn't work the babies have major 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 problems and it's evident from birth so pretty much if you're a normal human walking around living a normal life to the naked eye then you're metabolizing folate like if a cell can't metabolize folate you can't have a cell division it just wouldn't work so it's more like you know some people do things better than others and it's the same in biology in every sphere some people are more fertile than others some people have sex once and get pregnant others you know might demographically look pretty similar on paper but they've tried for a year and not gotten pregnant once some people can run fast some people can't run as fast doesn't mean they can't run and you know if you've had trouble getting pregnant doesn't mean you won't get pregnant and have a healthy baby you might need some help but it doesn't mean it can't happen uh, so while I also agree with you, it cannot do any harm to give folinic acid or methylated folate as well as normal folate. There's no evidence to the point that folate would be toxic in any way to people. And actually the, the woman who um, who actually sequenced the gene um, agrees that, you know, the right thing to do is to have enough folic acid or folate in whatever form as long as you've got the right dose you'll push the equation in the right direction. So while I'm certainly, again, like you, a little on the fence waiting for further research and in that sphere, not against using a bit of folinic acid as well as folate, certainly I wouldn't want anyone with a diagnosis of an MTHFR polymorphism to freak out about it because it doesn't mean they're not going to have a healthy baby. Yeah, for sure. I think also an area that I am interested to see more in is about sort of the impact of having sort of more unmetabolized folic acid in your or unmetabolized folate in your system for those people who do have the the gene mutation so I guess yeah maybe it's a watch this space area but at the moment yeah I don't think that there's sort of the evidence there to really push for it but yeah it is it is going to be a watch this space I guess. Yeah, well, I guess we can gain some evidence from the fact that we have some people in our community where we actually prescribe ultra-high-dose folate. So, for example, we prescribe ultra-high-dose folate for people who we worry are going to break it down too quick. For example, women with epilepsy taking medications that induce liver enzymes and so forth. And we haven't seen any adverse effects at all of having high-dose folate. Women with diabetes, type 1, so instead of giving 500 micrograms of folate a day, we give these women 5 milligrams of folate a day, so a significantly higher dose, and no adverse effects from having lots of folate in your system. So that's, I guess, to some degree reassuring. But again, I agree with you. You know, medicine is, a, is an evolving thing. It's, it's a live science, you know. It's not like set in stone. And certainly things that are yeah. popular today or popular ideas today will not necessarily all stand the test of time, whereas others will. And in IVF, we see that all the time. I have many situations where kind of a hypothesis was raised a decade ago 
and thought of as a potential good idea, investigated by scientists and found, unfortunately, not to be of benefit and, you know, so kind of dropped like a hot potato by the medical community is not evidence-based. But, you know, there's an imprint of those old ideas sometimes on the internet and so you have patients, you know, Googling things uh, and requesting kind of interventions that we know don't work. And it's a, it's a difficult situation sometimes to, you know, not difficult, but, you know, you have to explain to the patient, well, this was, you know, raised in earnest to try and help people uh, as an idea, but, you know, subsequently it's been debunked as not helpful and therefore we don't do it anymore. And th- there are actually lots of things like that in, in different areas of medicine. For example, people used to put leeches on your body to try and cure you. Now, we know that doesn't work and we don't do it anymore, but people who did it at the time, they meant, they meant no harm. They were trying to help. It was an idea that they believed in at the time. Yeah, def- and like certainly in nutrition, that has, you know, happened over the years, lots and lots, and, yeah, it's, but it, it is hard to kind of get those ideas out of circulation. I think um, what we should come back to is an important point that you made is that we do have different requirements for folate depending on many different factors. So things like your body weight or BMI, Um, can have an impact on how much folate you should be taking in certain medical conditions like diabetes as well, have an impact as well. And so if this is you, then the standard amount that is in prenatal multivitamins won't actually be enough. Um, But that's one to, yeah, talk to your healthcare provider or dietitian about. We've talked about um, folic and folinic acid and choline. Is there anything else that we should be looking for in our prenatals? Yeah, so lots and lots of different things. And we've spoken about iodine as well, and that's one that it's um, recommended that women sort of trying to conceive and who are pregnant and also breastfeeding do supplement with that as well, at least 150 micrograms. That's another one where, you know, although enough is good, we certainly don't want too much of it. Um, So make sure that you're not, you know, taking loads of different supplements that have iodine in it, which I do see from time to time. There are many, many different nutrients that play a role in sort of pregnancy and for the development of the baby. So having, you know, vitamin B12 in your supplements really important and other B vitamins that play a role as well. Vitamin A is important. Um, We generally want that to be or at least most of it to be in the form of beta carotene, which is sort of not the, I guess, active form of vitamin A just because high amounts of that in pregnancy can be harmful to the baby. So you want to be careful with supplementing. I guess the reason that I sort of highlight choline and then vitamin D would be another one is that in a lot of sort of prenatal multivitamins, you do kind of get the standard ones. The the amounts that you'll get of them will vary, but, you know, you'll have your, your folate or your folic acid, you'll have your iodine, there'll be some B12, the amounts of that will vary tremendously, so some will sort of have less. Some that do tend to vary whether you have it or not or whether there are amounts that are really going to help. Vitamin D seems to be one of them and choline is is definitely another one. So a lot of your prenatal multivitamins won't have any choline at all or they might just have really tiny amounts. And that's some of the really sort of popular, you know, the main ones that I see people taking don't actually have any choline. And then the amount of vitamin D in them is, you know, either non-existent or really tiny, which for when we know that 
like I think it's, you know, more than 50% of Australian women in kind of the colder months have low vitamin D levels. It's an important one to be, I think, taking in a prenatal multivitamin. So having a look for those two in your supplements is important as well. Um, and then sort of your um, minerals and things like zinc and selenium, magnesium are important as well. Calcium is can be important for some women. It's many women, that's one that I find that we're able to meet it with diet. And certainly if we've got sort of iron and calcium in a supplement, they're going to compete for absorption to some extent, as do other nutrients too. But yeah, so I think there are, there are definitely lots of different nutrients that are important to look for, but also understanding that for some women, a prenatal multivitamin won't sort of have everything that you need. Certainly we are trying to get most things from a varied diet. And so still focusing on your diet as much as possible and knowing, so for things like, you know, even folate, so it's recommended that your supplement has at least 400 micrograms. That's actually not the amount that we need in pregnancy. We need a little bit more than that. So still making sure that you're getting more from your diet as well. And that if you do have a restrictive diet where you're, there are certain foods that you're not eating. So for example, if you're on a plant-based diet and not having any animal foods, you're going to need more vitamin B12 than what's in most prenatal nutrients. If you don't eat any fish and seafood, there'll be particular nutrients that would be looking to add on. Omega-3 fatty acids is something that I would be taking a separate supplement for if that's something that you're not getting from your diet because even the supplements that do sort of have omega-3 fatty acids don't tend to have enough. I think, I think in summary what, what I would say is that I would love for all of my patients to see someone like Wendy for an individualised assessment because there is not a one-size-fits-all answer. You know, we've learnt that many women are deficient in certain things. Many women who think their diets are great, actually they're not meeting their needs. And things like our BMI, things like our underlying medical conditions, things like restrictions we place on our foods ourselves, things like how we cope in pregnancy in terms of morning sickness and, and other things that affect our eating habits. These are all going to be different person to person and without an individualised assessment and advice, we can't be doing our best. And I think we also know that while we don't know everything about how diet impacts the current and next generation, we are getting more and more evidence that it can impact and that it is important and that it's exciting because it's one of the things we have power to change yeah, and to modify. Absolutely. I think that's a great message. It is one of those things that we can have a big impact on. And I guess I just want to say that, I, you know, as much as I've been talking about supplements and why I think they're important, I still in no way think that supplements replace a good quality diet. And I hope that the message of this, episode is actually not just the importance of supplements but the importance of trying to optimize your diet and so making sure that as much as possible within your limitations you have you know a good variety of protein sources so things like fish and seafood beans and legumes some chicken and you know a few serves of meat if you're eating those that you're getting lots of vegetables a couple of serves of fruit in daily you know, whole grain, good quality carbohydrate-based foods, nuts and seeds, 
as much as we can optimize our diet, then that sort of that's what's going to have the biggest impact. And then thinking of supplements as sort of a bit of an insurance policy, I guess, rather than that's my answer and now I don't need to worry about what I'm eating because unfortunately it doesn't work like that. (laughs) There are so many different prenatal formulas on the market and people are certainly opinionated about certain brands. Is there any reason why you should stop taking them once you are pregnant or is it something that you continue? So in terms of prenatal multivitamins, they've sort of typically been formulated, most of them, for use during pregnancy. However, there's actually some evidence that having these prenatal multivitamins prior to pregnancy seems to be associated with improved fertility. And as sort of we were talking about earlier, building up a lot of your nutrient stores prior to pregnancy is a really good idea. So I like taking them before pregnancy and then during pregnancy, and actually, particularly when breastfeeding, I'd suggest taking them after pregnancy as well, um, just because a lot of your nutrient requirements actually increase even further when you're breastfeeding. And while not all of the nutrients that we um, consume will have a direct impact on our breast milk, a lot of them do, we know now. Plus also for you know a woman's recovery and to sort of replenish her stores that have been depleted during pregnancy, I think it's important to to keep going from that point of view and because it's really tricky to eat well when you're breastfeeding in those early sort of um, newborn days as well. You mentioned vitamin A earlier and we've discussed previously that in its skincare form retinol, that's to be avoided during pregnancy. Is there any other supplements that someone might be taking before they get pregnant for other ailments that they should stop taking once they're pregnant or while they're trying to get pregnant? There are lots and particularly some of the ones that you might have been taking to help you try to conceive, so more just because we don't sort of have safety data on a lot of them. So if, you know, the purpose of the supplement was to get you pregnant, then once you are pregnant, I'll generally be stopping them. And, for example, I know um, a lot of women are taking kind of higher doses of vitamin E, which is sort of a fat-soluble vitamin that we store, And that's one that I would certainly be stopping when you are pregnant because we don't want to be taking high doses of that one Um, and many sort of other of those fertility nutrients, I guess. And then also to chat to your, um, if you're someone who's been taking herbal medications, let's say your naturopath or um, traditional Chinese medicine doctor is recommended for you, talking to them about the you know herbs are certainly not my area but we know that a lot of them we don't have the safety data from in pregnancy as well so looking at those too but then also the other thing is it, for a lot of nutrients it's also kind of the amounts that we're taking that can be a problem so if you're taking a prenatal multivitamin but then you've also been taking you know my hair skin and nails and all these other kind of nutrients as well knowing that there's a risk that you might be doubling up on some nutrients that we don't want to be and so some for some nutrients we have sort of toxicity levels where our upper limits where we know that they can cause problems if we have too much of them and that's something that I do see happen a little bit where if we're taking lots of different supplements and then our prenatal on top of that we're having higher amounts of some nutrients that we wouldn't want to be. So I guess you can be doing harm as well as good, I guess, is a message in taking supplements, that they are concentrated forms of B 
things where a little can be good but a lot can be bad and it's really important to rationalise that. So very important to let your doctor and also uh, let the other health professionals in your care know exactly what you're taking and a little bit of a warning against DIY supplementation, you know, sometimes less is more for certain things. Yeah, exactly right. And I think, yeah, so important that you're talking to your doctor about whatever you're taking just so they know because they're going to have your whole health, you know, background as well. And we know that some supplements aren't indicated for some women. And so, you know, for example, iodine I was talking about previously, there'll be some women who that won't be appropriate for with particular health conditions. So do always chat about it with your doctor. Thanks so much, Wendy, for coming back on Knocked Up to answer this listener question. Thanks for having me. You're welcome. And if anyone would like to see Wendy, um, have a look on our Women's Health Melbourne website under specialists. You can book an appointment online if you'd like an individualised assessment to help you get the best out of your pre-pregnancy, pregnancy and postpartum health. To support Knocked Up, leave us a review or recommend to a friend. Join us on Instagram at Knocked Up Podcast and join Raylia at Dr Raylia Lou. And email us your questions to podcast at womenshealthmelbourne.com.au.